If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.io podcast or check for the StartupRad.io internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.io skill as well. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 387, Board Game Geek Hotness for September 2022. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, my friends, we are back and we are talking about the hotness from BGG for September 2022. All the games that you're talking about as you head back to school and as this fall season slowly kind of creeps up on us, the heat that you're experiencing outside, I know many people don't know about this. I mean, there's some droughts and some issues. Turns out, Anthony, it's board game geek hotness causing all that. Right, yes. So, you know, it, it makes a twisted sort of sense, all that cardboard, it's, it's very flammable. <laughs> So why not? Yeah, I mean, it couldn't be anything else. So it's fine. It's fine. Once we uh, continue to talk about it, eventually the hotness will cool down and then we can kind of move forward with things. So we're going to bring you the hotness in board gaming. So as the year ramps up and we look forward to Essen, you'll have some things to talk about at your board game table. So Anthony, that will be our feature review. Uh, we have our wizard of BGG here to walk us through that. Before we get into that, Anthony, we had a really fun discuss- conversation, discussion with our question of the week this week. Yeah, this was a fun one. I, you know, we were talking a little bit last week about like how gamers define themselves and, you know, how things are organized and how we categorize ourselves and our games. So I asked everybody, what is the one word you would use to describe yourself as a gamer? Um, so like a, a lot of people responded and it was cool yeah. because, you know, I thought we'd probably just get a lot of people just throw a word up there and just mm-hmm. let it go, you know? <laughs> um, but no, we yeah. had explanations and everything. Yeah. This was probably one of the best ones I've seen in a long time. I mean, usually I think like you have to give the people like choices, otherwise they get lost. But I thought these were really creative, smart and like introspective. So yeah, these were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, we don't have time to read them all because there's a bunch. There's Aww. dozens. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> yeah, but what you should do is go check them out. They're on yes. Facebook. They're on Twitter. Uh, so check them out. Uh, so, uh, again, what one word would you use to describe yourself as a gamer? Tim, good friend of the show, Tim, says, hopeful. Hopeful Ooh. that I'll find more time for gaming. Hopeful that this next game plays as good as it sounds. Hopeful that others will get as much joy from the experience as I do. Love it, Tim. Yes, very wholesome. Fantastic. Uh, Eric says, learner. My group is always playing new games, so we are always learning a new game. Mm. I think we can all understand that one. Uh, Let's see. Jeremiah says, yes. Do you want to play? Yes. (laughs) We heard about? Yes. Are you available? (laughs) Yes. Not always true, but that's the desire. That's fantastic. Love that. Chris is accommodating. I teach many of the games my group plays and we usually sure. sit in with newer players and games they want to try. Uh, nice. Iger says teacher in 99.99% of cases, I am teaching and explaining the rules in our gaming group. Iger's you got to get the rest of your group on top of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teach everything. Um, he's, 
look, there's some people out there that are the true heroes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're worth, yeah, they're, they're, worth, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, when I go to a convention, someone's like, I'll teach a game. I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. No. <laughs> and Iger's, by the way, a Patreon backer also. So double nice. hero duty here. Superhero. Forget yeah. it. Uh, all right. Benjamin says, Caterer, in my gaming circle, I'm the one with the collection. I try to have the right game for every situation, player count, player experience level, time of year, etc. Nice. So bringing a little menu to everybody. Uh, Carlos says, slow playing, sore loser. No spaces. That's one word, right? <laughs> no, Carlos. But I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> um, EJ says, moocher. I play other people's games and live vicariously through their expertise. Fantastic. Love uh, it. Yep. Love that as well. Uh, and then Mikhail says, engaged. Maybe over-engaged. Rest of the world fades away. Wife or kid try to ask something. I don't hear it. Any co-players try to chit-chat about non-game stuff, I get them back on track. So no chit-chat, only game. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff. Um, Again, thank you to everybody who responded because this was a lot of fun to read through. Mm -hmm. Stay up to date with as people fill them out. Yeah, no, great. And again, we really would love to hear from all of you out there because it's... it's a big part of what we do. It's about getting people to the table, getting people to play games, engaging with the community. And it's it's so fantastic to see so much thought and effort into that. Again, you can reach us on all of our social media channels. So many that we can't name them all, but as soon as it pops up, we're somehow on there. So BoardGamersAnonymous.com is probably the best place to find all of these different ways and where we're in the world. But as Anthony mentioned, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, but all the basic ones were out there as well. Uh, if you can't find us, please email us. We'd love to hear from you. That makes all the difference. And again, incredible, tremendous thanks to all our Patreon backers for helping this podcast keep going after nine years. But Anthony, before we move on, did you have in a particular word that you kind of connected with? Uh, <laughs> I always love when I ask these questions and I'm like, oh, no, I didn't think of my own answer for uh, that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like the teacher thing. I often get... St- I, I almost said stuck teaching. I love reading rule books. Actually, I have a lot of fun. Um, and now that I use games in my classes as well, definitely, <laughs> definitely educating people on games and how they're played and what and what they can do for the world. So yeah, I think I think teacher is a good one. That's great. Yeah, this was a hard one. I I was I think when you posted the question, I was like is this going to be a game color or is this going to be something a little more deep? And then everybody went super deep. I was like, I love our listeners. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I, again, teacher always popped up with me, but I think probably a better word would either be promoter because obviously podcast, but also because game night, I'm always like, what can we play? When can we get together? When can we do this? And then when we get the games to the table, you know, hyping the games up as big as possible especially to non-gamer audiences so always 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 carrying the flag always waving the flag and then obviously i guess on the opposite side is the counselor when you actually sit down with people and try to walk them through their experience of the game or sometimes when people just either are getting crushed and you try to emotionally kind of hold that for them as they're going through the game, like, look, I know there's another half hour to this splatter, but can you just get through it? Can you just help us get through the game, you know? So, yeah, I, I think I think certainly we have a key and then there's plenty of other things. I mean, maybe eventually this will become like, I don't know, horoscope kind of thing. Where you, right. <laughs> which of your personalities? Which of the colors of the rainbow? Which of your Myers-Briggs are you? So, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Again, thanks everyone for reaching out and posting your information there. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our friends out there. Let's talk about what they want us to see. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm, I just figured I'd take the one at the top of the list this week. You know, we're doing oh. board game geek hotness. So this game yes. is number one on the hotness this week. We'll, I'll, I'll mention it again later, but I'm talking about it now. That explains um, the ice caps melting. Yes, I get yep, it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but this is actually a game I would have been hot on either way. It just came to my attention because researching the list. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Revive. This is from Aporta Games and a whole bunch of designers working on it. Helga Meisner, Alif Svensson, Anna Vermland, Christian Amundsen Oatsby. Wow. And uh, there are designers in here who worked on Santa Maria, which mm-hmm. is a brilliant game with a 
very problematic theme, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And then The Magnificent, which is a fantastic game that went super under the radar and then mm -hmm. got completely sold off by everything. Yeah. Asmodee dumped it. Yes. Like, if you could still find a copy and it's still cheap, highly recommend getting it because I have mm. a feeling this game is going to be very expensive in a couple of years. Mm. Um, especially if you can find the expansion, which there Ooh. is one and it's great and it will be hard to find soon. I did not know that. Great. Uh, so the revive is their new game and this is set 5,000 years, some amount of time in the future, but 5,000 years after human humanity's basically failed. Right. Mm. <laughs> um, so you are leading a tribe. The earth is frozen. So I guess the, the, Board Game Geek hotness has cooled off. I told you, eventually. Uh, it's, we've done our job. It's cooled <laughs> off a little bit. And we're, you're trying to generate resources, recruit survivors, and build up factories and machines. And basically, it's a sieve builder, but in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, the core mechanic of the game seems to be, like, there's some exploration, of course. It's a, a civilization game. So you're exploring new areas, putting out new tiles. But then as you do that, you're getting citizen cards, which will represent all these different effects that you can have. So they're multi-use cards. They have resources on the top, special abilities on the bottom. You can play them in different slots to activate different parts of the cards. There's a tech tree involved in the game as well. So you can kind of build up different technologies and kind of make the game a little more asymmetrical as you go. And there's a five part campaign built into the game as well. So it's not legacy, it's campaign based. Um, so I, I like all those mechanics. I like building a deck of cards that I find along the way. I like tech trees. I love Civ games. Um, I'm not huge in post-apocalyptic, but, you know, Ice World is a little different. It's not Mad Maxi so much. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm super on board with this game. And I would be anyways, but then you throw in the designers who, again, have made some really interesting stuff. And I especially like, you know, they they made... Uh, I'm trying to find which, which of them worked on this, but Svensson and, and uh, Design Partner, they made santa maria right mm -hmm. in 2017 and that was pretty popular um i think it was the first like actual hit um capital lux came out before that which was good rebel Knox after that and again the magnificent further on but santa maria was very good and there's a lot of buzz around it and then very quickly people are like the theme's not great it's another game about coming to the new world and exploiting it and then there were some challenging visual design decisions like the little pink smiley faces for your points, <laughs> which is it's no good. It's no, it's creepy. That. And, and so, but they very quickly, you know, they've explored very unique, different themes. The Magnificent is about like this night circus. Yes. And it's just this beautiful, mm -hmm. evocative artwork. It's very dark, but like colorful at the same time. Like I love the artwork of the Magnificent. I wish more people had bought it. <laughs> but, and this one seems to be similar, right? It's, doing something different. It's going to a different place and being creative with it and integrating it with the mechanics. And uh, I don't know. I look forward to seeing it. They've done some other like futuristic post apocalyptic adjacent type of stuff with like the Nox series, Rebel Nox. Um, and this seems like it could be definitely be in that kind of vein. So uh, I know it's coming out here at the end of the year in Europe. And there's a thread and somebody asked when, when it's coming to the U.S. And they said after the new year. Um, I know the Magnificent took a very long time to get here. It was like June of the following year when it finally showed up wow. from Laporta. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it's like late spring uh, before we see this. But it will be on my list. I will check it out when it finally arrives. This game, I, and I know I say this a lot. I know this is just generally where I, I come from in a lot of games because you do you do play a game for multiple hours, at least the games, most of the games that we play. I, I got to believe, or I feel, and we haven't seen all the games and we haven't seen Essen. And obviously there are some amazing games like Brazil Imperium that, that are out there. This has got to have some of the best, if not the best artwork I've seen in forever. The sci-fi look here. That's it's such a mature, intelligent design here. And the graphic design looks great too. The board constructions, everything looks amazing these double layer boards some of the some of the images remind me of scythe a little bit but i think this is the first time in a long time that i've seen this quality of graphic design artwork and production all in one spot again like i said the only thing i come close with i think is brazil 
but beyond that, I think this is just, it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. And I love those multi-use cards. There's nothing better in board gaming for me as far as that's concerned. All right. So Anthony, let me tell you about a little game that is unfortunately kind of somewhat almost the opposite. And I hate to say that because again, as I said, I do love the art a lot. And sometimes that does kind of throw me the other way. This is Woodcraft from Vladimir Suchi and Ross Arnold. Uh, Vladimir Suchi is one of my favorite, if not my favorite designer of all time. Shipyard, Underwater Cities. And this was really interesting because when they were coming up with this artwork here, there was a bunch of different posts trying to get people's opinion of how the, the you know, basically the box cover, the main image should look like. It's a very somewhat whimsical, somewhat uncanny valley looking to these wood elves where they kind of look human. They kind of look like, I don't know, wooden toy soldiers kind of thing. I don't know how to explain it. It's a little odd. It's a little off. Now, beyond that, what we're looking at here is a lot of the elements and mechanics that Vladimir Suchi uh, has recently implemented in some of his other games. So you'll see a couple minor elements of Underwater Cities at play here. Um, Ragnar Kaptu Rigni is, is in here in some respects. And there's just a couple of elements throughout. Basically, what you're doing is you're a wood elf. And as a legitimate wood elf, you your currency is not money, it's blueberries. And hazelnuts are going to be uh, the current, um, I'm sorry, the victory points here throughout the game. Basically, you are running a wood shop. So you have your, your own particular player board and your own little house has a couple of things. And the attic will store all your tools. So storing different tools in your attic and woodcutting tools will score you special abilities, points and objects throughout the game. The middle part of your house board will allow you to put all of your helper cards in there. So you're going to be able to, to recruit a whole bunch of different helpers that will give you special abilities immediately or throughout the game. And on the bottom is all the different sewing tiles. Sewing is obviously very important because we're doing woodcraft throughout the game. And basically what you're going to be able to do is complete contracts. So this is mainly a contract completion game. Now, Moving on from there, there is obviously your income board, which is, again, <laughs> blueberries and nuts and reputation throughout the game. And right next to your house is where you're going to be able to plant trees. So you actually have flower pots there. And you're going to be using the dice to act as resources. So sometimes they act as the tree growing and then eventually cutting the tree for the wood. And sometimes they're actually going to act for other resources throughout the game. So you basically have three dice, and but they're acting as resources and not specifically like you're not rolling these dices for a thing. What's most interesting about this is their action wheel board. This is an action selection board. So basically a number of different actions will come out to the board. These actions will stay on the board throughout the whole game. You will choose one of the actions in this middle of this kind of saw board. You will see if there's any bonuses around it that you'll be able to score. And then you'll move that particular action to the next quadrant. So that will go throughout the game. That is the main part of this game is selecting based upon this giant wheel. Like this reminds me almost as a rondelle in part because you're moving these pieces throughout the game and then it triggers a whole bunch of other things. So primarily through the game, that's pretty much it. You are growing your trees by using the dice. You're selecting action. And then you're activating the cards in the different spots on your particular woodcutting house. And then it'll give you an opportunity to spend resources, or in this case, blueberries, for victory points throughout the game. So this game is very icon heavy. Uh, there's not a lot of information out there. There's a couple of very simple videos. The rule book is out there currently. Looks to be a very good game. Um, somewhat complex, but it's a Vladimir Suchi game, so I think that eventually it all kind of flows together. So Woodcraft will be hopefully out this Essen, and we'll get a, a, a closer look when we get to talk to uh, about our Essen hotness. Yeah, this looks great. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Suchi's games in general. I I did not come around to the greatness of Suchi until Underwater Cities. Suchi, uh, Suchi. And <laughs> I, I played plenty of his games. Like Last Will is fantastic. Love Last Will. Um, fantastic. You had been telling me to play Shipyard forever, and oh, Shipyard's great. Never yeah. got around to it. But <clears throat> the 
now I'm, I'm all on board. Like even after like Praga, which I didn't love, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And uh, Messina, which, you know, I'm with you on that where I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need that theme in my life after the last couple of years. I'm sure yeah. plenty of people it's therapeutic and good for you. I hope, I hope it is for me. It's not, I don't know. I want to do that. Um, but this one, it's cute and colorful and yeah. you know, it's, it's thematically like just, Blah. It's nothing. It's not going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Other than, like, I could just enjoy the gameplay and not worry about what else is happening. Um, so I hope it's good. Yeah. That main saw wheel board is very similar to Pragna Kapta Regni's board, where you're mm-hmm. taking selections. But as you take selections, you are taking opportunities away from your opponents to take that particular action. So that's pretty interesting. You know, that's, you know, when you play Euro games, you know, usually people who are not Euro game players will say, oh, it's just a solitaire game. And and for the rest of us, we're like, yeah, well, we, we don't, that's not a problem for us. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we're already like super hardcore introverts. So if, if you're threatening us or criticizing us, saying that our game is primarily a solitaire game that we played at the table together, that is not a, that's not a red flag for us. But this does seem to have a little bit more interaction as far as that kind of action wheel is concerned. I always love a game that you can build a tableau. Tableaus, man, tableaus for days. Because even if you lose a game, if you built a tableau and you built a strategy and you get to see it in practice and you get to run the machine, like you mentioned, Anthony, last will, the great thing about Suchi's game is you get to run the machine. So when you're playing Woodcraft here, it has a similar... I guess, resource collection every couple of rounds, almost identical to Underworld Cities. So for so for the first couple of turns, you're building up your machine. Then you take the resources. You build the machine up a little bit more. Then you take the resources back. So um, very closely identical in some ways to Underworld Cities as far as that's concerned. It also has the same kind of general global awards goals that you can hit or people can hit at the same time. So that kind of public award system. So I appreciate anytime he tries to make an extra effort to include other people at the table on his games in a more, you know, competitive, collaborative, interactive kind of element. So it's good. I'm looking forward to it. The artwork again is a little weird and odd, but that's not going to stop me. It looks like a great game and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't gotten my hands on a really crunchy Euro in quite some time. All right, so everyone, that's the games that we want to see hit the table. Anthony, now let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And of course, we as always, we will let people know if those games are a buy and they should round pick those games up. If those are games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or if in fact, if those games are in fact the dreaded burn and that's why all the problems are becoming problems, then don't burn them, just recycle them. That's all I'm saying, man. Like so many bad games out there, I guess, getting burned. That's That's always the reason why we're having all these problems. <laughs> um all right i'm gonna kick things off with <laughs> trekking through history okay uh i i got this recently from underdog games uh it's a review copy so i'm pretty sure it's the kickstarter version oh, okay. i don't 100 percent know um <laughs> it, it seems to have stuff in it that's not gonna be in the retail version but uh the gameplay. We're talking about the gameplay. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is the third in a trilogy of games from Underdog Games, designed by Charlie Bink. Um, the first of these was Trekking the National Parks, um, which was a cute, fun game about trekking through the national parks in the U.S. Then there was Trekking the World, which was uh, you can actually play that one over on Board Game Arena. It's a very fun, simple. These are all very fun and simple family weight experiences. And then the newest one, Trekking Through History, this was, again, was on Kickstarter. And it is about going through time. Uh, and so effectively what you're doing is you're collecting different historical events into personal tableau and then scoring points based on how efficiently you do that. Um, the design piece of it first, like before we get to the mechanics, I have to mention this. The artwork is fantastic. There are I forgot how many cards are in the box. I think it's 100, 110, something like that. Each of them has a unique piece of artwork representing some historical event. And it's colorful. It's beautiful. It all has a kind of a similar style to it, uh, like the kind of the neo-noir style um, artwork. 
they all look like travel posters, like 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 something you'd see in a travel agency, but like for a specific time and place. And they're not all. I mean, I haven't gone through all of them, but they do seem to have a nice variety to them. They're not all just like European history, which is nice, right? Anytime we're looking at a game like this, um, I'm sure it's weighted in that direction, but it's at least not 100% in that direction. So you have events going back to, I think, 37,000 BC and then all the way up through like 2015. And uh, on the back of each card is like a nice historical bit to like a whole paragraph. So like as a learning tool, so I was playing this with my kids and my son would like flip over the cards and read through it. And he's like, Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, okay. Um, it, like, Cause there's so many different things in here. He loves history and he's just learning different things, which is cool. Um, mechanically, what you're doing in the game is you are on your turn, taking a card from the tableau. There'll be six cards available to choose from. There are three decks of cards that will cycle through the three different rounds of the game. So in round one, you use the day one cards, round two, the day two cards, and round three of the day three cards. And all the cards have times going back to BCE and up through modern times, but they they shift the window a little bit. So day one is a lot of older cards, and day three is a lot of newer cards to kind of help build your timeline. Um, you're going to have an itinerary sheet, which is just like a little uh, piece of cardstock in front of you with locations that you can mark off based on the types of tokens. This is the part of the game where it's just kind of like collecting icons because each card has a bunch of icons on it. And I don't remember exactly what they are, but there's the red, which is like, it's uh, like a little statue head. There's a blue, which is like a little scroll. Yellow is a a little light bulb and green is a, a laurel. And you'll get tokens for collecting each card. So if a card, when you take it has a red, a yellow and a green on it, you get one of those, each of those little tokens, you place them in your itinerary. As you fill out your itinerary, you get bonus points and bonus crystals for completing different combinations of things. Um, I found it by the third round of the second game, I was filling out the entire itinerary a lot of the time. So like the combos you were trying to build weren't particularly hard to do, but there certainly were times where I think it was not you'd have to make decisions. Like if I go this direction, I get all red ones and maybe I could get more points in that direction. Um, The time crystals are important because every time you take a card, you're going to move forward on the clock, a certain amount of space. So similar to patchwork where when you take a tile, it's going to move you up on that track, a certain amount of space. Right. And then the further along that space you go, the closer you are to the end of the game. Um, the the turn order is basically whoever's furthest back on the clock. So you all start at 12 o'clock. If I take a card going first, it has four time. So it takes four hours to visit that time period. I go to four and now everybody behind me on the clock gets to go. So if Chris, then you take a two, I'm at four, you're at two, you get to go again. Just same as patchwork. So um, whoever's in the back or Takedo, I think also does that. Whoever's in the back gets to keep going until they're not in the back anymore. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. The time crystals let you reduce the amount of time it takes to a minimum of one. Um, and then when you take a card, you're putting them in chronological order in front of you. Every time you get to the point where you can't keep going forward, you will close that stack, set it aside. That trip is done and you'll start a new one. The stacks are worth more points based on the number of cards you have. So like one card by itself is negative three points. You never want to do that. Two is zero, three is two. And then when you get to like 10 cards in the row, it's 30 points, which you probably want to do, but you're not going to, you're not going to do that more than once in the game. Um, I think the most cards I've gotten in one round was seven. That was a lot of ones and twos. Um, So that's more or less what you're doing. You're like going through, you're collecting these different cards, you're building your little tableau, you're resetting your tableau, doing it again. The itinerary resets as well in between rounds. And then you can kind of go from there. Um, and that's the base game, right? There's also the time warp cards that come into the game. If you, um, so on their, on their Kickstarter page, they say it's an exclusive. So there won't be for sale after the campaign is over, but they will offer print and play versions. The Those cards came with the box that I have. So... I don't know, <laughs> but the solo mode stuff did not come with the box that I have. So it might be retail. I don't know. I probably have to double check, 
but I think, you know, the, the core gameplay is definitely the same. Um, but the time warp stuff, it, it adds a new deck of cards. It kind of changes the rules up. You'll have different ones that kind of come out and it makes the game a little bit different each time and a little bit more challenging if you want it to. There's also a solo mode again with like longer, more challenging sheets you're trying to fill out. Um, destroying time crystals, for example, that you'll have to deal with as you go through. So yeah, trekking through history is very good. I, I'm not surprised because trekking the world was very entertaining. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, and, you know, looking at this one, I think I didn't back it cause it might've been up around the time I wasn't back in games, but I was really interested <laughs> in it when it was up because it's a, my, my kids are of that age. Uh, my mm-hmm. son really likes history. He watches YouTube videos all the time. It's just about different historical events. And the game is very pretty. Like it does everything very it well, visually. And, and as also in terms of just the actual content and what's there. Like if you mm-hmm. want to read the stuff on the back of the card, there's a lot there to read. If you just want to put the events in front of you and be like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't think of that. That's also possible. So Trek It Through History is a buy. Uh, I definitely recommend it, uh, especially if you have, you know, children like eight or so and older, I think is a good age. And my daughter's seven, but she's usually able to grasp things a little bit um, quicker in terms of games. She has a lot of patience for a seven-year-old. And yeah, I think it's a good family experience. Um, I don't know what you're looking at in terms of retail costs. I know the Kickstarter edition was $50, so probably it's there or a little bit more, which is a bit much. But that said, the quality of production is really high. It's got the the nice, strong finish. Nothing is too cheap or too thin there's a nice the game tray insert is fantastic everything fits in there very nicely Um, the little bits you get from the cards are you know plastic pieces like solid plastic pieces that are all different shapes so you can place them around pretty easily there's no colorblind issues here um, that i'm aware of and yeah it's took me five minutes to teach to everybody in the family so highly recommend trekking through history yeah i remember seeing this on kickstarter and as you mentioned I'm interested. I, I, I think, like you said, there the artwork's good, the graphics design's good, the information about the historical events is there. Gameplay seems to be pretty smart, which is surprising. But and again, if you could teach us in five minutes, that's pretty great. I'm really, really loving that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was the rule book's not long. It's like four pages, five pages mm-hmm. long. Um, but a lot of that's examples. Like it's really there's five steps to each turn. You just tell everybody what those are and then the rest kind of figures itself out. Sure. Very cool. All right. Well, another Kickstarter to talk about here. I backed don't go in there. <laughs> this is a game from road to infamy. This is the people behind the very famous or recently famous canvas. And I was kind of interested in this for a couple of reasons. One, I, I'm still desperately looking for holiday games. It's it's hard to find games, especially Halloween games. I mean, every once in a while you'll you'll find something like Final Girl or or something of that nature. But generally, something that if it's going to be a holiday game, it's going to be something you play with your family. And I can't tell you how many terrible holiday games, especially Christmas games, that come out there. So when I saw this on Kickstarter, I was interested primarily because they had done such a good job with Canvas. And again, Canvas is a good game. It's certainly light and simplistic as far as the gameplay is concerned. It's meant for non-gamer kind of family situation. And Don't Go In There seemed to be of that same kind of ilk because basically it is a press-your-luck set collection game. So the box itself, very cute. It actually looks like a haunted house. And then it folds open to reveal that it's actually a dice tower. So basically, you will have these dice that are ghost dice and actually glow in the dark once you kind of charge them up with a lot of light. And basically, throughout the game, you are one of these kids who thought it would be fun to go check out this haunted manor. And then you are now cursed to pick up a number of different curses throughout the game. You have to go through a deck of cards. The deck of cards is made up of five different types of curses. And depending on the number of players in the game certain number of those cards are removed. So as anybody who knows who's ever played a set collection game, 
it's nice to know how many of a thing is there so you can do a thing. But in this case, there may not be many of a, a particular set. So you might be running yourself, unbeknownst to you, into a wall, like super fast. But basically, the game is very simple. There's going to be three different room areas in this house. So, for example, the hat, the attic, hallway, and basement. And each of those different areas in the house are going to have three of their own kind of curse cards there that are, that are drawn from a randomized deck. And basically, what you're going to be able to do is place your little person meeple on there and decide how much you want to press your luck and how much do you actually want first choice out of those three cards. If you choose to go first on that selection, so there's typically five spots open, this five-player game, then you are going to get your first selection, but you are going to have to take the five of the uh, ghost dice as kind of a penalty there. So you're going to look at the curse cards that are in play. You're going to you're going to formulate how many you know dice are going to be actually be rolled. You're going to roll the dice, and based upon how you know brave you are as far as that's concerned, or crazy you are, you're going to take ghost damage, or you're going to take ghost. They're going to you know kind of haunt you, so to speak. Uh, this is where the cuteness kind of appeal comes in big. The dice are uh, amazingly fun. I mean, I think they're certainly going to become one of those kind of components that are going to stick around forever. That is really individually beautiful, little crafted kind of sinister little jokey faces. And the artwork in the game is really unique, very cute, very Adams Family looking. Uh, definitely, you know, not bloody or gory or scary or anything, just kind of slightly creepy yet cartoony. So you could certainly play this with kids, but you'll roll the dice. You'll see what you get. You'll take the penalty and ghost, and then you'll select your card. The longer you wait to go in there or into that particular section, you'll have more flashlights available for you. Flashlight dispels ghosts, as we all know. So you might want to go later, but then you're going to get stuck with certain cards that are may not be to the best of you. Now, the curse cards are really where this whole game comes into play because, as I said, Five decks are going to go into a main deck that's going to get shuffled, and then a certain number of cards are going to be pulled from it. Each particular curse is going to have like this monkey paw curse value it. So in that selection of, let's say, eight curse cards, you're going to have one through four curses. Uh, The person who is the least cursed wins the game. Everyone else, I guess, loses the game because of all the curses. So those monkey paws with high numbers, you really don't want them. But not to worry too much because on each of the curses is an opportunity to dispel the curse or an opportunity to help you dispel ghosts or other curses that may be from other cards in the game. So basically, as the cards come out, you're going to formulate at least a little bit of a plan of what you want to do, what you want to collect. And then as you roll the dice and collect the cards, because basically this whole game is about getting negative points. It's definitely something you have to wrap your head around. It's a very short game. It's a 15-minute game, 15, 20 minutes. You know, it has has a good player count to it. I wouldn't recommend it at two players. It definitely plays better at the five-player because, you know, if you're at the lower player count, then you're kind of selecting exactly what you want versus when you're at the five-player count, things get a little more chaotic. And honestly, that's really what you want. I picked this up through Kickstarter. I picked up the, I guess what they would call the, uh, limited edition. Basically, the limited edition gave you a wood token and it gave you um, five new curse sets of cards, which is fine. And I think it does need that because based upon what's available to go out there, you can kind of play with, you know, being a little bit easier and forgiving based on what the curses do or a little more challenging or sometimes the curses kind of work together. For the limited edition, it was $35 plus shipping. Uh, everything in the game is pretty good quality. I think the only challenge that I found was the actual location boards. The board quality is okay, but they're a little bit soft and warped. So that was a little bit disappointing. The card quality is fine. It's a little thin, but it's a solid card. The dice are fantastic. All of the ghosts as negative points in the game have an individual face on them. It's great. You get the meeples in the game. It's, It's a decent game. So for this kind of little bit of spooky game for family and first-time gamers, don't go in there. It gets a play. It's just a play. I, I kind of knew it was going to be just a play, but I felt the cuteness factor, the openness for the gameplay, and the dice tower with the with the you know the ghost dice that glow in the dark. I thought kind of made it just worth backing. So there you go. Don't go in there.
or do go in there. I don't know. Or play when you go. In there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it looks cute. I, I mean, it's the kind of game that honestly does never really captures my attention, but I always appreciate that they're there because I think it's, it, it covers a lot of bases and it, it does something interesting and it, you know, the different take and theme and style of things is kind of the same audiences. Like there are other stuff like canvas. Yeah. It's, it's certainly something that you could bring to practically any party and this game takes five minutes to teach as well. And you could just be like, roll the dice, pick an area, pick a couple of curses. Yes, I know they're negative, but I, I think you'll be fine with it. And I th- and again, like since it all packs up in that one box, like just like Canvas does or just like Villagers does, I think it's, you know, at the very least worth the play to see if you have the game people that might, this might work for them. All right, everyone, that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's talk about the super hotness in our feature review. Anthony, Board Game Geek from September 2022. What's hot? What's happening? All right. So if you're new to this segment, uh, what we do is we go through the top 50 games on the Board Game Geek hotness, which is just boardgamegeek.com forward slash hotness. And we don't go over all 50 of them because there's a bunch of games that are in here every single month. And... It gets boring and my jokes aren't funny anymore when we get to like 11 months in a row of mentioning Gloomhaven. Um, So we're going to go over and I'll make some highlights of games that are new to the list or recent releases or interesting things um, that we've kind of been keeping our eye on. And uh, we'll cover most of like the top 10 or so because those are those are the hottest of the hot games. Uh, So we're going to kick things off with number 49 down here towards the bottom of the list. This is Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition. This is a trick-taking game, originally out of Japan, Munayuki Yakuuchi, and uh, Hobby Japan. And it was recently released by Bezier Games. Um, this designer made Yokai Septet, which is one of my favorite trick-taking games, highly recommended. And this one looks really creative and clever in that there is no suit in the game. Every card is the same suit of black car- a black cat. And you're going to bid for how many you think you're going to win. And then you're going to place a token into a shared board that establishes what the suit of the card is when you play it. So it has kind of this, I don't know, scientific angle ish. You got to wrap your head around it. Right. And it's very mind bendy. And I think mind bendy is a great way to go with a trick taking game. So it's clever. It's creative. It's different. Um, And this version of it is a very solid production. Uh, Looking forward to this one kind of, making its way out to everybody else outside of conventions. Uh, next up, moving up the list, we have a bunch of old classics. So we'll skip past the Feast for Odin and Blood Rage and Beyond the Sun and Gaia Project. Uh, number 43 is Ether Fields. Uh, it's from designer Michael Oras, uh, who worked on Neuroshima Hex and Cry Havoc. Uh, this War of Mine, the board game. And Ether Fields, originally released back in 2020, it's a big cooperative game. Uh, you are working your way through like a dreamscape, uh, this narrative cooperative game. So there are, uh, I think it's a second wave or a second release of the game um, that's being re- released here in 2022 from a from a Kickstarter. So everybody's kind of revisiting and rediscussing um, this game, which was a big success when it kind of reached everybody's table back in 2020. Uh, moving up the list further, we have uh, the Quacks of Quedlinburg is up the list quite a bit. It does not have a new edition, but the uh, children's version of this was up for the Kinderspiel um, this year. And so already number eight on the family game list. This has been reworked into I'm trying to find the exact name of it, um, if it's even been like translated yet. Uh, but uh, the, the children's version of this, which I know everybody loves, Quacks of Quedlinburg, it's one of those games that's become very popular. So Quedlinburg Dash, which is the new version um, coming from Schmidtspiel, is, I don't know, it's just kind of a boiled down version. Like we see a lot of this with big Euros that kind of boil it down and make it more accessible. So looking forward to that. I think my kids will like that, actually. Number 37. <laughs> this one's on the list a lot, too, but I like mentioning it when I can. Uh, War of the Rings, second edition. Nothing new here that I'm aware of. We're still waiting on that last expansion. I I guess it got shelved for a bit. The Kings of Middle Earth. It's still listed as 2022. I don't think that's happening. 
uh, because they were working on the card game, which is higher on the list uh, at number 34. So War of the Ring, the card game, is releasing this fall. I think the goal is to have it at Essen. And I don't know if that's the formal release or not, but in that ballpark, because they're also saying that everybody else that pre-ordered it should get their copy by the end of the year. So I'm beyond excited for this game. It's my most anticipated game of the year so far. Um, War of the Rings, my number one game. And the card game looks to be like a boiled down, accessible, beautifully illustrated version of this. Plus, I just have like the Lord of the Rings bug right now. Um, I just got through watching the trilogy with my kids. Excited for the new Amazon show later this week. Uh, new game coming later this year. It's just give me all the stuff. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, so that that's all the War of the Rings stuff. Um, the new Friedman Freeze game uh, went up on Board Game Geek not too long ago. It, Freeman Freeze is always busy, but I feel like he's been more busy of late. Maybe that's just like the games have been coming to the U.S. more uh, or more quickly. I'm not really sure, but uh, this one is Findorf. So this is you're building up the city of Findorf, which is not even a city. It's part of the city of Bremen, uh, but it's where Freeman Freeze is from. And so, of course, he's, he's got to make a game about where he's from. And it starts with an F. So. There you go. Not not just one F. There's three Fs in Findorf. Um, and so it, it's a city building game. Uh, don't know a ton more about it. It's all of his recent releases have had solo rules, which I find very interesting. Uh, Fayum was fantastic. I went and picked that up after playing it at PAX. I recently also picked up Free Ride, um, which is a very interesting, very simple, but like mind bending kind of train and route building game. Uh, so I feel like for a long time, Friedman Freeze games didn't really click for me. But in recent years, like the big ones, like the small ones always kind of did. Um, and, and it's not that he doesn't do a lot of solo stuff either. Like Friday, one of the first truly solo games was Friedman Freeze. Um, but yeah, Findorf. I'm excited for this. We'll see where it comes out and who's releasing it and how to find it. <laughs> and I'll probably be back on the show at that point. Um, because Economic Engine Builder with the resource market similar to power grid with a solo version mixed in. I'm hundred percent on board for that. Uh, next up the list, uh, moving up a little bit more. We have number 30 Robomon. This is from Barrett publishing and it's up right now on, um, uh, see I'm getting all the names of all these different tracking websites mixed up. It's currently, on GameFound. There you go. I had to Google it. <laughs> There's like five of these things now. I kept wanting to say Backer Kit. I know it's not Backer Kit. Um, so Robomon is available on GameFound now. It's up for like three more weeks. So you got plenty of time if you want to check it out. But it's an exploration story game uh, for one or two people. And games like this are always funny because they're like playtime, five minutes to 1500 minutes. And then I see that and I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, so it's it's a world where all the world's animals are extinct. And so Robomon, which is clearly a pun on Pokemon, are designed and sent onto the world to kind of replace them. And you're on an explorative journey to find them and catalog them and solve. It's basically Pokemon, a board game, but using robots instead of creatures because they don't want to get sued. So uh it's up to 100k on GameFound. People are interested in the concept. I don't, I don't know if it'll work or not, but you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see when it comes out. Uh, going up the list a little further, number 29, Twilight Inscription. This is a Twilight Imperium roll and write. Uh, they released, I think, 200 copies or 300 copies at Gen Con, so it is out in the wild. I think reviewers have it as well, and it is releasing to retail in middle of September, I think September 16th. So I'm going to have a copy of this at some point because I have to, even if I make fun of it constantly. Um, I still don't know why it exists, but I'm going to get it. I'm going to play it. And knowing me, I'll like it. Uh, it's big. It's epic. It's sprawling. And the, the reviews so far have been like surprisingly good considering. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to getting it to my table and seeing this two hour roll and write in action. 
Next up on the list, we have moving up to number 23, uh, a new one from John D. Clare. This is Ready, Set, Bet. Um, so I guess we haven't had a new horse racing betting game in a while. And it's crazy to me that this is like its own genre of board game, but there's like a dozen of them. Uh, so this is coming from AEG and uh, here towards the end of the year. And it is, yeah, it's a betting and bluffing game about horse racing. There's dice race, there's dice involved. There's a real time element involved. There's this big like Vegas style um, tracking sheet where you're putting down money and betting on who's going to win these races. It looks pretty cool. Um, as a fan of like all these Vegas type of games, but we'll see how it plays out. John D. Clare makes really good stuff and he has a lot of really creative ideas. So I'm interested to see a, a game of his that doesn't involve see-through cards. <laughs> um, number 21 is Acropolis. This is a new game from Gigamic and Jules Masso. Um, it's, it's, it's his first game. Uh, it's an ancient city city building civilization style game uh, you're drafting tiles and kind of building them out into a tableau looks very simple but also a lot of fun like definitely on the lower end of the weight scale like 1.5 to 2 20 to 30 minute game and you're throwing all these tiles out to build out your um, greek city i i love all of that so <laughs> looking forward to seeing this one in action it was on crowdfunding in Germany, I don't remember if it was on Kickstarter or not. It's listed as Spielschmeid on um, Board Game Geek, but uh, I know it's done. I know I know somebody back in Pittsburgh who has their copy, so I will be uh, giving this one a go when it's ready as well. All right, uh, got to mention this one. We're going to jump again over a bunch of games here: Marvel Champions at twenty, Arkham Horror, the card game at nineteen, Wingspan, Brass, Lost Ruins, Terraforming Mars, all the stuff we know and love. Um, Wonderland's War, we haven't really talked about much on this podcast. Uh, there's a lot of buzz around this game. And I'm actually very interested in playing this. And I have a copy of it downstairs, but haven't had the right group with which to play it yet. Uh, because it's not something I can play solo. So, and it's not, it's a little too heavy for my kids. So, someday I'll play it and I will let you all know what I think. But I do love the cover. That big Cheshire Cat grin is cool. Uh, number 13, though is brand new to the list and is my, already my most anticipated game of 2023 because it's a new Vitalis Serta game. This is Inventions, Evolution of Ideas. So this is a civilization, really more industry side uh, development game in which uh, there, there's a worker placement component. There's some card development. There's a lot of mechanics kind of mixed in here. I have not played it, but I've, sat in on some play tests for a little bit of time. I've just never had the three hours to sit down and play it. Uh, Cause he does a, a lot of play testing online through uh, tabletopia and it looks really interesting, right? It's got all the telltale signs of a Vitalicerda game with all these interlocking systems, but you you're moving workers around, I guess a little bit similar to like the gallerist uh, and you're taking these different actions and building up based on the cards that you have. Um, which represent different technologies and inventions. And there's a really cool, it looks like a, a cool, like focus on blueprints um, and, and like plans for different things and patents, uh, which is very cool to see from like, you know, tool artwork. And the cover is amazing as always, you know, tool. Uh, it's like a, a light bulb with all these intricate illustrations uh, inside the light bulb. So check that one out. There's not a ton of information about it yet, but when the Kickstarter gets ready to go up, which based on their usual timeline will be early in the year or the end of this year, uh, I will be super duper excited and I will back this right away. <laughs> um, Woodcraft is at number 12. We just talked about that. Chris's acquisition disorder. Uh, number 11 is Mosaic, a story of civilization. I believe this one was on Kickstarter. Uh, we talked about it, I think back in the day. So, this is the reason this one's so interesting is that it is designed by Glenn Drover, who is the original designer of Age of Empires 3, Age of Discovery, Raccoon Tycoon, Railways of the World, and um, also worked on Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game, which, like the original, original one before it got revised by Fantasy Flight. So a lot of experience building Civ games and that kind of exploration things. And this is kind of like a, a dedicated Civ game 
uh, with a, a card dra- card drafting element to it. So the early reviews are middling, um, but it is kind of getting out to backers and everything. So I'm looking forward to seeing this one in action. Um, I did not back it, so I will have to track down a copy as well. Number 10 on the list is Spirit Island, um, which has been up here for a while. This one's usually in the top 10. Dune Imperium at number nine with a new expansion on the way. Number eight is Oath Sworn Into the Deep Wood. This is a game from Shadowborn Games uh, designed by Jamie Jolly, which is an awesome name. And it is, you know, I feel like people get upset with me for saying it this way. <laughs> like, oh, it's one of those games from Kickstarter. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean it to be demeaning so much as I don't know a ton about it because I don't back those games personally because they're too much content. I love the idea of them. I wish I had time for them. I just don't. So it's a narrative-based game with miniature combat encounters for one to four players. You're going through this world of like horror-type creatures um, as the Oathsworn, you're the characters, and kind of fighting for humanity's survival. So it has a lot of cool stuff, uh, lots of miniatures, a very heavy story elements to it. And I'm sure... You know, based on the reviews, especially, it looks like people are really, really enjoying this. Uh, and it's, you know, kind of in hands now. So, you know, looks good for those who like that kind of game. And those who backed it, I'm sure, are already like, yeah, of course it's great. That's why I backed it. <laughs> uh, moving up the list, number seven is Obsession, which seems really high. And I was, like, scanning over to see why that might be, um, because that's part of why we do this. It's, it's fun <laughs> to see why we might do this. And then I noticed, because this happens a lot of the time, that they talked about it on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Uh, and so that's funny, because I specifically mentioned that a few times, and somebody called me on that before. And it's like, they do, they talk about older games. You guys should talk about older games, too. We should. And Obsession is one of those games I would love to talk about, because it is very, very good. It's also apparently somewhat hard to find. So I... I know because it was originally um, Kickstarter only uh, and there is a lot of buzz about it. And a lot of people have gotten very excited about it, including shut up and sit down. We've been really hot on this game. So don't buy the crazy second printing prices on like board game geek or eBay. They're like hundreds of dollars. I'm pretty sure they're going to reprint it. Um, I certainly hope so. At least that's the rumor I've seen. So it just, you know, do your research first. Don't pay crazy prices because it would be insane to pay that much money. <laughs> um, even though the game is very, very good. So that's Obsession. Uh, they're at number eight. Very, very good game. Um, number or number seven, I'm sorry. Number six is Rise. This is from DLP Games, who are the original publishers of lots of lots of amazing things like um, Orleans. And designed by Remo Konzadori, um, who's worked on a bunch of games, uh, including recently Alibaba and Expo 1906. Um, and then the second designer, Marco Pranzo, who worked on Historia and Dawn of Mankind. Um, so in this game, it's you're building up a single city. So it's like industry, manufacturing, um, style approach to it's, and it's relatively short so it seems to be kind of in that ballpark of like a, a furnace in terms of length and complexity but i'm interested to see more information because there's not a ton available yet um it's a little bit longer too it says 12 rounds even though they say it's only an hour we'll see uh number five is trudvang legends this was a simon uh kickstarter back in the day i, I guess it's been pending for a while i don't know this was a while ago this kickstarter was up but uh the game is finally shipping out to everybody it's based on a swedish rpg titled true chronicles and this is a uh, cooperative role-playing kind of um, adventure game um last week we talked about the number four game arc nova aquarius first expansion for arc nova super exciting looks amazing uh sea of legends at number three is a um, game from Guildhall Studios, and it is all about navigating the high seas with little miniature ships. So it's an open world tabletop game, narrative driven, um, 
lots of content mixed in there and has kind of a, a digital component to it as well. So it's kind of hard to wrap that one up and describe it in 45 seconds. But if you're up for like pirate sale games or high seas games or, or kind of the alternate history take um, on the ocean, uh, this seems to be right up that alley for a lot of people. Number two is Arc Nova, which has been up here forever, especially with the expansion. And then number one is Revive, which I talked about earlier in the show. Very excited about that based on the pedigree of the designers. So there you have it. All 50 minus some that are always there. <laughs> Great. All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. See ya.